What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 24 of the podcast, and that means we've been doing this show for six months now. I'd like to thank you all for listening, give us the support to continue to do what we do. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this show aims to do. We are interviewing elite players who have lost one to two games over the course of a major event. We are going to break down mistakes and how they learn from those mistakes. We're going to talk about just that elite player mindset. How often have you blamed a loss on bad dice? We've all done it. I've done it. Brad's done it. Nick Nottabody's done it. And that is exactly what this show aims to debunk. We are headed back to London. For once again, we're going to be talking about the massive behemoth of an event, the London GT. So grab your crumpets and your tea and turn on your favorite Spice Girls song and jump right in. Notice no dive in there. I could have. I didn't. I didn't take the low-hanging fruit. I think John Lennon is Baby Spice. Scary is, of course, Scary Spice, and I, of course, am Posh Spice. So I'm Old Spice. This is part, yeah, you're Old Spice. Now, this is part one of the episode, so in this, we will analyze the game, we'll talk about common mistakes that are made, we'll talk about the secondaries that our player chose and their target priority. Make sure to tune in for part two, which is available to subscribers at theartofwar40k.com, where we will talk about strategy adjustment, list adjustments, and just the different things that our player plans to change moving forward to different events and how they plan on winning moving forward. My co-host today cannot be stopped from winning events this season. He recently won the Stud in Scotland GT in Canada. He brought home the title. He remains number one in the ITC worldwide. He recently won the Michigan GT. He's a nine-time member of Team USA. He won Adepticon 2012 as well as many archived, long-forgotten Adepticons. He has three top eight LVO finishes. He won the Armed Forces GT this year. He is a 2021 ACO champion. He was a runner-up at GW New Orleans. Mr. Brad Chester. I'm now the Prime Minister of Canada. I've officially taken over. It was an American invasion, and we've got it. Brad, what Spice Girl are you? You said Old Spice. That's not a Spice Girl, man. Oh, It's it's how my Spice would be. I'm definitely Old Spice. It would just be a bunch of young people and me up there with my walker. I'm gonna give it to you. I'm very posh. I think I think I'm using that word correctly, but uh, I feel like I'm posh spice. Bougie would be another word, you know. I, I believe is. The, I, know, I think Manny might be posh spice series. He brings a lot of bougie oh. up here. He's a fancy lad. Speaking, hey, hey, you do not steal my thunder on our guest intro. We're doing we're doing it big. Here it is. You likely know him as the face of Glasshammer. He is absolutely tearing his way through events in the UK this season. He currently sits number one in the Europe ITC rankings. He is number six globally. He has traveled the world playing 40K. He plans to come and take the throne at the end of the season in the U.S. at LVO and I believe GW Austin. He is a member of the reigning WTC World Champion England team, Mr. Manny Chima. Hi, guys. Thank you very much for having me. This is awesome, by the way. Manny, what uh, what Spice Girl are you? (laughs) We all need to know. I'm, I'm posh. You're posh. Okay. Okay. We're both posh. Got it. I also love the fact that Manny might be the only person to challenge me in the fact that he will bounce to as many different armies as humanly possible. Same as I do. 
Oh yeah, I love um. I, 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 yeah, I don't like getting bored of something like bored of an army. So uh, I do try and uh, bounce around as much as I can. I'm like, oh, eighteen buggies is good. Let's take eighteen buggies. Oh, six planes is good. Yeah, let's do that quickly. Nice, awesome. <laughs> yeah, how did you do that? I, I didn't. Even, I kind of forgot you were playing buggies because I was like, oh, he's playing. playing. It's not he like that was pain. the first army. He pieces all the stuff. He. We should get. We're gonna get matching loyal no loyalty hats for factions because. <laughs> Whatever's fun, whatever's smashed. <clears throat> it was like um, one weekend I was in Gibraltar and I was using 100 rangers. Well, we started off when the Ad MacBook came out. We had 15 rangers, like three units of five because they weren't that good before. And then the book came out and I was like, oh my God, I need 150 rangers for Gibraltar. And David was like, how long have I got? And I was like, five days. And he was like, Okay, get them off the shelf. I'll build them and paint them in five days. And he did. And then I took them to Gibraltar. And then I came back. And like two weeks later, we were like, oh, 19 buggies is good. David, I need another 15 buggies for next weekend. And he was like, "Uh, okay, yeah, cool. I'll do it. And then he did it in like four (laughs) days. And I was like, mind blown. So yeah, do you guys keep him like in a in a dungeon somewhere where you have him chained to the painting table? (laughs) Yeah, David's like chained in the corner. Like um, I've muzzled him for this call so no one can hear him trying to escape what have you uh what have you done to instill so much fear in him that he was painting (laughs) 15 buggies in four days that's what i want to (laughs) know oh no he loves it he just loves painting he's and he's so good at it like he speed paints for the world he's he's really good so david's awesome awesome so many tell us a little bit about the lunge gt we kind of got a little bit from mark two weeks ago but uh give us a little bit of a rundown on the event yeah it was actually a a great event this time oh yeah sorry no, I just wanted a little. I wanted the bonus to it too, because uh, because of the format, also. So, kind of give us the event, but also like because they were only doing five games at that four person cutoff, so it really changes yep. how you got ready. Give us a little bit of that, if, also, if you could. Yeah, because that, that that will change things. Um, it, it it had a massive impact in the game as well, the game with Petford, uh, which we'll talk about in a bit. But yeah, the the event itself, it was fantastic. I mean, um, in past years, uh, the London GT. Has had some issues, quite big issues, but um, I thought this year was fantastic. You know, it was it was organised very well. Um, there was beer, so that's always a positive. And no, yeah, Zach actually did a really good job of running it this year. The terrain was decent too, um, and you know, it was fantastic. One of the best things about the whole event was that it's the first massive tournament after lockdown like big big event over here definitely the first super major anyway and there were so many people that i got to see again who i hadn't seen in like two years so i think that was a fantastic part of it the social was brilliant and the format like you say uh, because it was only five rounds you you had to go in there aiming to score maximum points in every game. You couldn't go in and go, um, all right, it's fine. I just have to win every game because my list would have been completely different if all I had to do was go undefeated. If there was going to be one player undefeated after the weekend, um, like, you know, the seven, eight rounders you guys have over there, if it was going to be like that, then your list would be totally different. But you have to go in there and go, not only do I have to win, but I have to win big in every single game. So you almost have to go, right, these are my bad matchups. Instead of balancing my list a little bit so I can play those bad matchups and win the game by a couple of points, but that probably means I'm going to get like 
a 78-72 win and then I'm out of the running anyway. So you kind of have to think, do I want to go there and just be undefeated for five rounds and end up 18th in the tournament? Or do I want to go there, um, win, try and win every single round as big as I can, and if I hit a bad matchup, hope I go first and then get like 90 plus points so I'm still in the running. That's the kind of mentality I had to go into it with. And um, obviously I, I wanted to try and win the event as much as I could. So for that reason, I just went, right, I'm going to go all out optimization on one way the list works to get like, this is the way you can build a list where you can get maximum points from it every round and then just go in with that and go right if we hit a bad matchup that's where we gotta hope we roll a six <laughs> it's it's funny because i just i wanted to bring that up because i thought it's such a big deal in the difference in play the difference in in army list and what you're trying to do and, and people didn't put enough focus on that because they were talking about oh you're going to do this i'm like no it's so much different when i when you have to if you and i are playing and i just want to get an 80 to 75 it's a so much different when you have to get that 9700 you have to play riskier you have to take chances you would never take before, you know you might not ever take oh yeah de definitely definitely it's just such a different ball game because to be honest there aren't very many events like that here at the moment like lgt is the biggest as well and um the thing is i i had practice for it because um there were a couple of events i went to in the weeks before where it was like an, an 80 man event, but it was only five rounds. So there were going to be two, maybe even three undefeated players. So I took a similar list, which is like go big or go home kind of thing as well, just to see it does like, does the mentality work? Does that, you know, way around of thinking about it of, right, I've just got to go as big as I can. And if I hit a bad matchup, that's where I've got to hope to get a little bit of luck. Because, you know, to win any event, uh, yeah, being a, going with the right list, uh, having the right mentality of how you thought about it, and also player skill, those are massive in any tournament you go to. But a degree of luck is always needed to. Like, you've got to hit the right matchups in the right game, you know, like the mission that is best for your army. If you hit a bad matchup, but it's the mission that's the best one for your army, you can do things and fight out of it and things like that. So, you know, there's a degree of luck in any element of it. So I was like, well, you know, maybe you'll only hit one bad matchup in the whole thing, possibly two, if you're trying to get as many points as you can and just go, right, that's only like one occasion on the weekend where maybe you have to get a bit lucky to get into the situation of, um, you know, winning the whole thing. So I thought that that would be the way to go rather than take a more balanced list and then you go, okay, this is a hard matchup. I know I can win this, but it's definitely only going to be by like five points and I'm out. You did really well the first, you did really well the whole event, honestly, but the first three rounds, I think you had like 100, 197 or something like that. And then yeah, you went yeah. to this round four and you hit, uh, you played almost a mirror match, which is uh, planes on planes, Admech, yeah. right? So let's, let's run, let's let's run, yeah, let's, hey, let's run through this list, baby. Let's, let's talk a little bit of what you, what you brought for the big beatings. Okay, yeah. So um, I had um, I had Lucius as like the that's where I build the base of my army always, pretty much. Because uh, what I've found is every time I'm playing Admech, when I take the three big Lucius twenty man Ranger blobs, I can do to the last very reliably. I know a, a, quite a few people that take Rangers, but they play them quite aggressively, and you know because they do a lot of damage. But I kind of think of them in the way of I'll use them as like a Counter Strike. 
if somebody comes out to strike the rest of the things in my army, that's when my rangers will react and pick up those things. And then it becomes harder for my opponent to deal with the rangers, especially with all the different Lucius buffs you can put on them. So I took to the last in basically every single game. Um, and that's the reason why I had Plasma Calivers on my squad. So I have a Manipulus because he can make a unit ignore AP minus one and two. He can make a unit transhuman, like a marine version of transhuman. And, you know, on 20 dudes, that's pretty good. Um, and then he gives one unit extra range, extra AP. He has the solar flare. He's just, yeah, you, you always take fat boy because fat boy rocks. And then um, I also have a, a marshal in the list and he lets everybody reroll once to hit and wound all the Lucius stuff. And also he can let a unit fall back and shoot anywhere on the board with a data tether. Most so efficient guy those. in the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, my sergeants into my squads had warlord traits as well. I think um, the telemetry cache is just so good. You know, you can give give a unit plus one save and then they get another plus one save against one damage and all of a sudden they've got like a two-up save because um, you. I know cover doesn't stack with the Lucius buff anymore, but the second half of telemetry cache is not actually cover. So it says you gain the benefits of light cover even if you're not on terrain. But then it also says add plus one to saving throws if models in this unit are on or in a terrain feature. So that that part of it is not cover. So if you've put 10 guys in your squad touching a ruin, they'll get plus one save because they're touching the ruin from the second half of the telemetry cache and plus one save against one damage from the solar flare. So you can have two up save um, rangers with transhuman ignoring AP one and two. So that squad, like I've had Vanguard veterans run into that squad and kill one ranger because they're AP2 and they make you take 18 two-up saves or 14 two-up saves because you're transhuman as well. So it's a lot more survivable than you think it'd be. It's not just 20 toughness, three dudes. You know, they're, they're, they could be a lot tougher. So because you can build that into the list, I always take three units of 20 to be to the last. Now, the reason why the list changed a little bit here was I didn't use planes before. LGT was the first time that I used Admech planes. I had a very different list. And the reason why the Ranger squads are all like 190 points with plasma calibers on them was they were 170 point units before. But the minute you add those last cannon planes, they're more expensive than your Rangers. So you go, oh, uh, that's my to the last plan out the window. So how do I tackle that? And then I had to look down the weapons list and I was like, oh, plasma calibers 10 points. If I put one plasma caliber in each squad, then they'll be the same points as the planes and I can choose them to be to the last again. But then I actually had a look at what Plasma Calibers do, and they're stupidly good for their points. So I put two Plasma Calibers in every unit, and I dropped something else. And the Plasma Calibers are insane. They're an assault weapon that's got a 30-inch range, strength 8, minus 3, flat 2 damage, and you, you're adding four shots into each squad you've got, and they're all re-rolling ones to hit and re-rolling ones to wound. So those those three squads were MVP. Those are the best things in that list, the three Lucius squads with the two guys. And then after that, I just had um, I had another Lucius squad of Rangers. It was like 17 man. And then I had a, a bigger squad of Mars Rangers as well. That was because I wanted a good target to use Wrath of Mars on. And they're like the perfect target for that because they'll do six mortal wounds every time they shoot. And after that, I had six planes, but only two of them were Mars because, like I was saying, I only have the one Mars detachment in there. I had two Lucius ones, so four of my planes had to be Lucius, and then one plane was Mars. 
And that was it really. I, I couldn't really fit anything else in. And I think um, it did it did hurt a little bit not having any Cerberus Raiders. Did hurt a bit not having those. But um, like you can very much see from that list, it's like 100 Rangers and then six planes. And it's like all about going for the big win, basically. Love it. Let's see what you played against. Because <clears throat> that was a very similar list that he brought uh, against you. So Yeah, Petford had a very similar list, yeah. Yeah, because he brought uh, Lucius also with, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, he brought the Skatari Marshal, of course, Manipulus, and then he had also uh, two large blocks of Rangers. Then he brought a small unit of service Raiders, just a three-man. Uh, the bombers in, sorry, in, in Mars, or sorry, in Lucius, uh, my voice is dying here. In taking over Canada, I got a little under the weather. Another marshal in, in Mars, he had a Lucius attachment and a Mars attachment. And then he has the big Mars Ranger block. One, two, three, four Ballastari, a two and one, one. And then he had a big unit of Cerberus Raiders and then two Stratoraptors. So he had two Mars Flyers. And so what were your thoughts going into this match, Manny? What, like, what was your, uh, your keys to victory? I'm assuming you took to the last. What were your secondaries and what was the mission? So the mission we played was priority target. So um, I took, um, I took priority target because why would you not take priority target? That's a fantastic one because you just, um, you're holding, your home field objective for three points a turn, basically. Um, and then I took Stranglehold because I was like, you know, I have more Rangers. I will try to pressure for um, for the middle of the board as much as I can. And then I took to the last because, yeah, I, I take to the last every single time pretty much. So I took that and going into it, I was looking at it and I was like, right, it's priority target. That's a good mission. But also he can also take priority target. We have very similar lists. Um, he's got Lascan and Ballastari though. I didn't have any Laz Cannon Ballastari, and he's got some of those. So he's got slightly more Laz Cannon fire than I do, but then I've got a fair amount more range of fire than he does because he had like three blocks, whereas I had five blocks. So I have a bit more of that, but he has a bit more maneuverability, and he can screen a bit better than I can because he's got the Cerberus Raiders and stuff like that to screen with. And he can, when it gets a little bit later, if his Cerberus Raiders die, he can kind of push one lone Ballastari to the side and like make it so that if I sold a flare, the thing I'm hitting is one Ballastari. I'm not going to hit something else. Whereas I've got to use Rangers to block Rangers and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a little bit harder. Um, I believe the one thing I did have though, was I had two units of five Rangers in my army, I believe. And that was, um, to basically try and do some screening and stuff like that. And if I had to trade with people, I could chuck a five-man unit out there and stuff. If I ever did an action, I could do it with a five-man unit so I wasn't stopping a big 20-man unit from shooting and stuff like that. So that was how I was thinking about it. But first turn was going to be a massive element in this game because we both bought planes. And planes, when you go second against other admech, they can be seen from anywhere on the board. So I think it was a bit more need to go first for me than it was for Alex, uh, because his list was a little bit more all round than mine was. Um, but also, like, if 
if he doesn't go first and I come forward and go for his planes and my rangers jump out to shoot planes and stuff like that, he still has his balistari as an answer for my planes to try and shoot my planes down. Whereas from my side, if he goes first, comes over and kills the planes, I don't have much reach to get to his backfield. I then have to try and deal with his planes with my rangers and all that kind of stuff. I don't have any other las cannons in the army. I just bought the planes for that job. So I wouldn't have any reach to his backfield if he goes first. So I was like, well, first turn has a big part in it because also I had more planes as well than than Alex. So I was like, right, I need to, I need to just like concentrate on deploying correctly where all of my planes, if I go first, have a good target to go into and a good spot where they can maneuver onto the board where they'll have a decent target and not just be wasted because I literally need to make every single shot count if I go first. So that's how I deploy taking all that into consideration. Um, and then, yeah, Alex uh, Alex won the roll-off and went first. I do love that you said that, though, because I think a lot of times people are so aggressive with their planes when they don't need to be. There is like a lot to be said for getting, getting the least amount of firepower you know, back at you, not getting smited, not getting double tapped and stuff like that. You can be cagey, especially with the two turns on those admec flyers. You know what I mean? You can set yourself up for later turns so well. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing as well is, um, so Alex, Alex went first and obviously going, going first has a massive part to play in that matchup, but he played that, so well he went for all the right targets his planes all shot the right things he bombed the right things like he he bombed rangers instead of bombing planes which uh, I, i've had people go after my planes with their planes before with the bombers because you get to roll six dice when you try and do mortal wounds to a vehicle instead of um, an infantry unit so you can do three or four more wounds Per plane that you have that bombs enemy planes. So I thought, you know, there might be a chance that he does that, but he went for the Rangers and that was totally the right call. So he, yeah, he just had a great game plan as well going into it. Ra Rangers, Rangers do not like mortal wounds. No, they don't. What does no, the bomb do? What does the bomb do exactly? Yeah, so you can get up to plans? 10. It's it, if you go, just like Manny was saying, you get six dice if you go against a plane, but you can get up to 10 dice. Uh, it's based on the number of models you bombed, and on four pluses they do mortals, and that's the biggest thing. As Manny was talking earlier about all the buffs he can put on those rangers, you know, transhuman, you know, ignoring AP one and two. But if you can chip away at mortals, they just they start picking them up, and then they become less and less durable, less and less effective coming back at you. So it's it's such yeah. a you get so much more bang for your buck bombing one of those big units uh, every day than the planes. He's yeah. getting like uh, five mortals on average on those big uh, twenty-man blocks. It's right? just the it's the difference between though. It's like the rangers are actually like he was talking about, super deceptively hard to kill. So if you can get more free kills when he has other things that can do damage to the planes, and and you, you're not going to get the same volume through uh, with anything else. It's just getting yeah. free kills basically uh, from the infantry. Yeah. So yeah, how definitely. did that play out after turn one? So he came in, he bombed, he bombed <laughs> one of your ranger squads, I guess, and then he, yeah. killed, he killed the planes. Oh yeah, Alex. Alex did really well actually. Um, his first plane came over, uh, chose to bomb a unit of rangers, flew over them, pivoted, and then flew to the side a little bit. And because that's also another massive thing with the bombers is they can turn twice, but it's not just like Eldar planes. 
for example, they don't have to turn at the start and then turn at the end of their move. They can turn twice at any point. So they turn at the turn at the start to face the thing they're going to bomb. They come like 38 inches across the board over the thing they're going to bomb. Then they pivot another 90 degrees and carry on another 12 inches. So they can come all the way into your deployment zone because I'd clumped up fairly well. So there was nowhere to land right next to me. So he had to fly all the way over my squad turn 90 degrees and then keep going and get off the other side of all of my squads. Uh, so that's, that's a massive thing that you could do that with those planes. And he, yeah, he positioned them so, so right. And he did everything correctly. And when he came over the Rangers, the first plane uh, rolled the 10 dice and rolled nine, four ups out of the 10. Ouch. And you know, sometimes <laughs> that happens and it hurts. <laughs> so I was like, Ooh, Ooh, th there's half a Ranger squad dead. Nice one. <laughs> now I was like, Oh bro don't do that again. And then the second one flew over and did like seven. And I was like, Oh no, they're all going mental now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he, he bombed two different units with those, did a decent amount of mortal wounds to both of them. Then he shot all of the stubbers from those two bombers, the 16 shots each into those two Ranger squads. So he pretty much absolutely butchered these two squads. One squad, one squad was down to four guys after my morale, and the other squad was down to 12 guys after my morale. So he took took eight rangers out of one, took 16 rangers out of another, and he solar flared over turn one with another unit of rangers that could see some of my rangers and wiped out another 20-man unit. So he close to killed 60 rangers turn one, as well as two planes. Uh, yeah, it was it was two planes that he killed turn one as well. Maybe three. It was either two or three planes that he killed turn one, along with 60 Rangers. So that was a devastating turn one. And um, to be honest, I made a big mistake. And I was saying it to Alex as well as he, as he did the thing. And I was like, oh, no, I forgot this. And he was like, oh, man. And I was like, yeah, man. I was like, but, you know, it happens sometimes because, you know, we were both... Um, we were both very aware that the first turn was so big. So we'd deployed in a way that hopefully we both, both of us deployed in a way where hopefully we go first, but if we go second, we can do things to counter each other. Like he had his Cerberus Raiders out on the flanks so that if I solar flared, I was only going to shoot like a unit of Cerberus Raiders and one Laz Cannon Chicken instead of a whole blob of 20 Rangers. And what I had done is where I had my Mars unit in the corner, I had a five-man unit inside the ruin in front of them. And the idea was that five-man unit needed to move three inches out at the start of the game. And they were going to move three inches out just on the other side of the ruin. So when he solar flared, his Rangers couldn't see my big 20-man Ranger unit. But we rolled off the first turn and then he won that roll off. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, man. He's going first. And I just forgot to do my, because that's the thing as well. Like Alex did his pregame moves. So I, I, I don't know. I think I just totally switched off there. I forgot that I had that unit in the corner to do that thing with in case I went second, because we were both so hyped on that role of who goes first and stuff. And yeah, it just, it just slipped my mind and Alex did his perfectly. He moved up with the service raiders and everything. And yeah, because I, I forgot that ranger unit that could move out three and actually block the solar flare, that cost me a 20-man ranger blob. And that was huge, huge. So that was, that was yeah, that was the one that came over and the, the his unit ranger solar flared over and shot that 20-man right. And that was... I think the, the funny yeah. thing is, is that you took such a huge beating in the first round, but, and the reason we do the Unbroken is that move right there though i actually think that you have a much better chance to try to mount a comeback 
Uh, but then you lost that other 20 man squad. That's yeah. That's just so huge. Yeah, it was big because the the game actually on points was close. Um, like I I knew I I couldn't like catch back up fully after that. But um, you just got to keep going through the rounds because it still matters for where you might finish. You know, ITC points are still a thing, and it's a six hundred man event. Like even if you finish in the top twenty five because you've only lost one round and won all the rest. Um, if you can finish at the top of everybody who's only lost one game. So my mentality immediately switched to that because as soon as he went first, when he killed like almost half of my planes and also just over half of my ranges at the same time, I was like, okay, don't do something silly now to try and push out and get roll as many sixes as I have dice and try and win the game still, because at this point you've probably lost the game. So just play as well as you can to get as many possible points as you can, because you need to try and finish at the top of the one loss bracket now. So that's exactly what I switched my mindset to. I was like, right, I can't take big risks here now because I've already lost like probably just over half of my army turn one. So there's no point taking risks, just go for the reliable things. So I killed the Cerberus Raider units that were close to me. The unit that jumped over with the Solar Flare, I just put a lot into them. I used Wrath of Mars, put that into them as well. And I just chucked one five-man obsec unit into the middle of the board to get my Stranglehold. That's it. So I was like, right, I sit on my two now with like the limited stuff that I have. And I just catapult one little obsec unit into the middle because the thing i was thinking about it was alex had taken engage engage on all fronts so he doesn't really need to go for that middle objective because he's probably also thinking the same thing is there's no point me being greedy here because at this point uh the the game is looking hugely in my favor so there's no point in me taking risks so i thought okay that means he's probably not going to come for the center objective until the last turn because he only needs 115. He can sit on his own too, guarantee he's going to get 10 a turn, because I physically can't reach that anymore. I'm kind of stuck a little bit where I am, knowing I've only got 50 ranges and like three planes left. So what I did was I went to uh, try and kill his planes with my planes, because I know they're the things that have got the most reach, and then just catapult that one unit onto the center objective and keep my to the last at the back, because um, I the four-man unit, the unit that was down to four after morale, that unit was one of my to the lasts. And then the other two units that I still had at full strength, they were my to the last. So I was like, okay, at least the unit that got completely nuked wasn't the to the last unit. So I still had those. And that's all I did. Every turn I went, I just went for the points. I was like, I'm going to get three for sitting on my home field objective, three for just running one unit into that middle objective, and then I'm going to, you know, get to the last because I'm hiding all game. And I actually thought, right, he's probably not going to move me off that middle objective for a turn or two just because of the, you know, the, the planes with the stubbers and stuff. They're the only things I could see. So I think one turn I got 15 on primaries, and then after that I just got like 10... 10, 5? I didn't, I didn't max it out, I don't think. I think there was either 5 or 10 points that I dropped on, on primaries because of the fact that I couldn't hold the middle one to my next turn. Like, I could run onto it, but I couldn't hold it. And that's all I did. Basically, I was just chucking out little... I chucked both five-man little units out for two turns, and then I chucked my other unit that wasn't to the last. The Mars one out for another turn. So I got it for three... Uh, I got it for three turns... 
And then on the fourth turn, I made a mistake again. Um, so this was like when I was going for, I was just going for as many points as I possibly could. And I just didn't think about it for a second. But I went for the middle objective with her to the last unit. I put the buffs on them and shoved them onto, the, uh, onto that middle objective. And I was like, all right, maybe they'll... Because obviously, the whole time, I also have been chipping back at him. I've been killing a few rangers here and there, the Cerberus Raiders, a plane or two here and there. So it's not like I've done nothing. And that's the only reason I managed to survive to the end of the game. Because if I'd been completely reserved about it, he would have come over again, turn two, and just completely nuked me. But I was killing the threats that could like kind of reach me reliably the following turn. So I could just scratch and claw to stay alive in the game. And basically, in that turn four, I chucked one of my to the last units on the middle objective to get Stranglehold. I got the three points for Stranglehold, but then even through the buffs, because he had so much left, he killed that unit, and I lost five points on to the last. So I was like, I've gained three points for Stranglehold, but I've just lost five points for to the last. So when we got into the final turn, the fifth turn, I was like, right, I can't like go out. Like, sorry, it was it was turn four because in I was going second. So in turn five, I could jump out and get stranglehold anyway. But in turn four, I was like, oh man, in turn three, I just lost it to the last because I just did that. So in turn four, instead, what I did was I just stood still with the with those ranger units. I was like, I would rather not get stranglehold this turn but it guarantees me five points for to the last instead of that so i was like yeah I, I should definitely do that so i just sat in the corner for a turn and only in the final turn did i run out to get my last stranglehold points so yeah i um i dropped a few points on that and but i was really happy with the with the way that the score turned out considering the way that the game started it's um i was really happy that i managed to just switch mentality and go right don't go for, you know, all the 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 weird ones where it's going to be very risky. <laughs> but but the, it, well, the thing one. is, in chipping away like that, you do still have that opportunity at least to get that last 15 in the last turn, possibly. So you always, if, if all of a sudden his dice turn off and yours don't, you got to keep playing. And I think that is a big deal though, with people, is that be consistent, try to score your points, and sometimes things will work out for you. If you start making just crazy plays, that's when you're like, well, <laughs> I have no chance now because I just made this, you know, 10%, you know, chance of victory kind of play as opposed to just chipping away. Yeah, that was the thing because I, um, I almost maxed out my primaries as well. Like um, just um, having a look at my score, I got 87 points out of the 100 in that game, which I'm super happy with going second against other admec. Um, but basically, the like I said, I, I didn't get to get maximum primaries because I got 15 for a turn, but then in the last turn I wasn't on um on a on a 10.1 because you can get 15 and then 10, 10, 10. But um I, I didn't get 10. I only got five because by that point I was so depleted. I was just down to my one home field objective. I just had two units cowering away in the one ruin. So I lost five points on primaries. Five points because I did that thing where I sent it to the last unit out to die. And then one stranglehold was dropped as the other three points because I decided to save it to the last for that turn instead of going for Stranglehold. So only dropping 13 points, I was pretty happy with that. And um, not Alex, the thing is as well, Alex played that really well. He Because I thought one thing that could happen and one thing that has happened with me before is when I've just changed the mentality completely and gone, right, I'm just going to try and score as many points as I can. Sometimes what happens is you try and score and score and score, and then your opponent can see, oh, he's got 15 primaries this turn. Oh, he's got 10 primaries again this turn, but I'm supposed to be way ahead of this. And he's got his stranglehold again. Oh, he's got his stranglehold again. 
And at the moment, it looks like he's going to get 15 until the last of the end of the game because he's all hidden and buried in that one back ruin that like a plane can't really get an angle into properly. So, and like, even if you could, one plane would shoot in there, which is going to do nothing to 20 Rangers, basically, because you spread the buffs across the two units at that point. So quite a lot of time, what happens is somebody panics then and they go, oh, he's getting a lot of points, actually. This is going to be super close. And then they'll go for an overextended play. And then you can punish them and maybe make them drop a few points. And then all of a sudden you're straight back in the game. But Alex fell for none of it. He was on top of it the whole time. He was like, I'm not going to overextend because he could see my points going up. But at the same time, his points were going up as well. And I think the thing that he noticed was he was always four or five points ahead of me because I couldn't really stop him from scoring any of his secondaries. Um, I think he only dropped five points or something like that in the whole game, which was like one turn of not getting the 15, of course. Um, but like everything else he got because he played that so well. And, you know, I can't, I can't fault him. He did everything the way that he should do. And that was the one thing that I thought there is maybe if I start doing really well on my points, he'll come back at me now and maybe overextend. But nope, he knew exactly what he was doing. He went in there with a game plan. He didn't overextend at any point. And yeah, he just played, he played like the perfect game in that game, which I, I thought that was wicked. It was, and it's always great to play another great player like that because it's good to see that like, you know, they everybody everybody picks up on these things and the the scene in the UK uh, like competitive scene on the high high level of it the the top side of the competitive scene is growing we, we've got a lot of top competitors over here and you can turn up you guys event. also play them each other all the time like I, you yeah. guys have not only you guys have a ton of tournaments going on but there's like big events next to a big event where a lot of top yeah, players are yeah. there. You guys are always playing each other. Yeah, yeah. I think the fantastic thing about it is if you look at the competitive scene in the UK, when you go to a, say, a 60-man GT, if you go to a 60-man GT, there'll be like 10, 11 people there who you're like, oh, any of these should win the event. And you're like, oh, that's like 11 top-class players in a 60-man GT. So... You know, I've been to, like, so the LGT, I would say my my hardest game was against Alex. But then after that, I, I did get to play a lot of games that were slightly easier for my army to play into. They weren't like the top level of it because there's 600 players there. Um, you The chances of you hitting multiple top, top level players is significantly reduced. So... Yeah, it, it does have a big thing to do with it because we sometimes we run like a 32-man event here and there'll be like 15 players that turn up that are all part of Team England, Team Scotland, Team Wales, or one of these major singles competitors in like in Dice Down. You've got Malik, you've got Alex Petford, you've got all of these players and then Team England, Team Wales, Team Scotland. All of these lads turn up and half of your event is people that could win it or people that win GTs all the time. And you're like, wow, it's an absolute shark tank. And it's like, you know, you you get to play the other top players a lot more over here, I think. Like, for example, over there, you guys have, have an event that's like 500 miles from the next event. But over here, it's like, oh, there's an event in London. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of far. But then you think about it and you're like, oh, it's only a two-hour drive. And it's like, that's the furthest I, I ever have to, <laughs> to say, any of the major I have events. a five-hour flight to have my face yep. <laughs> I have to exactly. drive to fly across the entire country. Yeah, it's like uh, pretty wild. 
I, I appreciate the fact that you got absolutely nuked turn one. And there's really not a, I mean, you had that one play, but there wasn't a whole lot you could do about it. And you set back and you played your game still. And I think a lot of times you win that game. I think exactly like you said, you know, a lot of times you do bait people into making I think that if you I think that if you actually played someone that wasn't as an experienced of a player at the top level, they do start to the confidence. It's the psychological thing of that. When you the somebody thinks that they're winning, but the key if you're keeping track of the how the score is going and all of a sudden they exactly like you were saying, people panic and go, Oh, I, I'm supposed to be winning. I should be doing this. And people, you just look for those mistakes and just keep going and keep chipping. I got it, and I got to say, man, I I've been absent this episode, and it's because you've basically run the episode by yourself, like perfect. Just like I'm just gonna let Manny talk, man. He's just literally answering every question I have, just I, talking about the game. I just want to so. go. I'm going to the part two because I'm going to grill him. I'm going to grill Manny on everything that I want to know in the future here. <laughs> The part two is called the Bradening or the Brad Hour because Brad's about to go nuts. He's going to go blind for a minute. His eyes are going to light up, like illuminate, and he's just going to speak. And that's oh what's uh, that's what you're walking God. into, man. Just uh, get ready for it. Yeah, <laughs> Manny, thanks for coming on, man. We've really enjoyed talking to you this uh, in this part one. I can't wait for part two. We're going to ask you all the hardball questions, and I look forward to it. Awesome. For those listening, make sure to check out the rest of our content at theartofwar40k.com. We have coaches there. You can hire Brad as a coach. He will do literally anything you ask of him. After I hours. Mean, literally anything. After hours. The unbroken after dark. Also, check out our other podcast. We have The Art of War Vanilla with now with Steve Joel and with old Johnny Lennon. We have The Art of War Down Under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. Did I say his name? Adam Camilleri. There we go. I, I hit it. And we, of course, are the Art of War Pistachio, the one you didn't know you liked until you tried it. Thanks for listening. Join us for part two. See y'all later. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.